0: Pray and I'm going to resume something I began last week. I'm doing the series that I promised I would be preaching from the book of Proverbs. It's something that I've been in for a year or so right now. I wrote a thesis on this book, so I feel like, you know, I got a better feeling for the book now. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you this morning that you are the all wise God and that wisdom itself is knowing you. It's t- foundation. We talked about that last week. The source of wisdom is knowing you, is is being uh, in relationship with you. It's having a a respect and an awe of you, Father. And I pray today that we will hear clearly the path of wisdom. And Lord, give us ears to hear. Maybe there are things within us that need to be changed, oh God. Maybe there are things within us that need to align themselves with your path, with your way, with the way of obedience, with the way of righteousness. And I pray today that you will speak into all of our hearts and that we will walk with you in a greater freedom than we've ever known before. And I'm, I'm praying, Father, you're going to do miracles today, even as we've been singing. I believe that you're releasing your presence. I pray as the word is being ministered to, release your presence. And I ask, Father, that you would bring healing to those who are emotionally distraught today, those who are mentally tormented today. I pray that grace would come in an amazing measure and that you'd bring freedom and joy and peace and hope into our lives. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. 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 You may be seated. So Proverbs chapter 1. Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote a very famous book. Actually, if you were an American, you'd have probably heard about this book. It was called Uncle uh, Tom's Cabin. And it, it was a book that, you know, basically motivated the United States to start addressing the slavery issue because she wrote about um, what slavery was really like in the South. And in her introduction, or one of, the, one of the descriptions of a slave owner, you know, I'm sure there were more slave owners that were a lot nicer than this, but, you know, there were also people who were vicious and malicious and cruel, and she's describing one of these guys, and one who had rejected his godly mother's appeal for his own salvation as a child. And she writes it in her book, Far in New England that mother had trained her only son with long, unwearied love and patient prayers born of hard-tempered sire, on whom that gentle woman had wasted a world of unvalued love. Isn't that kind of sad? You know, here's somebody pouring out their love, and here's a son who's rejecting his mother's love and embracing his father's temperament. Legree was his name, had followed in the steps of his father, boisterous, unruly, tyrannical. He despised all her counsel and would never listen to her correction and at an early age broke free from her to seek his fortune at sea. He never came home but once after, and then his mother, with the yearning of a heart that must love someone and had no one else to love but the son, clung to him and sought with passionate prayers and entreaties to win him from a life of sin so his soul would experience eternal goodness. That was Cree's day of grace Then good angels were calling him. He was almost persuaded and mercy held him by the hand. His heart inwardly relented. There was a conflict but sin got the victory and he set all the force of his rough nature against the conviction of his conscience. He drank and swore was wilder and more brutal than ever before. Love and wisdom rejected. You know, when we choose the wrong path, all we can expect is tragedy, that's it. When we choose a way that's apart from God's way of wisdom, we enter into a broad road, and you know, I I don't know, I have sat down with people, one-on-one begged them, please don't go down this road. It will only bring heartache to you and pain to those you love. That's all that's gonna happen down that road, it doesn't work the way you think it will, you know, because temptation can be so strong in people's lives. Wisdom begins the, Proverbs is a wisdom book. It deals with wisdom. And I I said last week, wisdom is found in a person. So it's not just I'm being smart. No, it's found in a relationship with God. It's actually Christ is our wisdom, Paul writes. So we recognize it's not just doing the right thing. It's it's actually following the right person. It's actually obeying the word of God. And here we start out in chapter 1 and beginning in verse 8, you know, where the words say, listen, my son, or we could say, and my daughter, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Isn't it amazing in the Scripture that one of the greatest commands that we find in the Bible is found in the book of, of Deuteronomy. This is the Ten Commandments, and there's ten significant expressions in there. It says, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So right off the bat, we see this expression of the necessity of learning to submit to authority. By the way, we have a rebellious nature. How many here are parents and you realize that your children don't always do what you want them to do? Anybody experienced that? You know, How many would also admit that you and I are like little rebel kids and we don't always do what the Father tells us to do? Isn't that true? So there's a little element here that we need to understand that he's bringing out here. Now, he goes on to say here in chapter 1 and verse 8 and 9, if we listen to the... Now, we're going we're gonna to have a caveat. We're going to have a caution in a minute. But if we listen to our godly mother and father... They will be like a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. In other words, that which is like the value of jewelry, like gold and silver. There's value in these precious stones. That's what happens when you and I listen to the wisdom coming from that which is godly. And in this case, godly parents. Harry Ironside, he says throughout the Bible, obedient to parents is coupled with subjection to God. In other words, God sees it as a child that as we listen to our parents, and we're not talking about doing something illegal or immoral, okay? Everybody follow this? But as we're listening to them, we're actually listening to the voice of God. God puts authority into our lives, and, and this culture is anti-authority. Anybody discovered that yet? We don't want to listen to anybody. We don't want anybody to correct us. You know, We don't want anybody over us, and yet God is over us, And the wise person submits to those that God puts in authority in our lives. And so Ironside says, Disobedience to parents, the Apostle Paul classes among the evidence of the last day apostasy. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy chapter three, it says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. By the way, we are in the last days. How do you know that, Pastor? Because when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, he says, this is what Joel said, that in the last days, this is what will happen. So for 2,000 years, we're living in an expression called the last days. And he says, this is what will happen. There'll be terrible times. People will be lovers of themselves. Is that true today? Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy. That's the description Paul's giving us. Ironside continues to describe how in the last days children will be leading their parents. It will be a child-driven culture. It's the truth. Listen. It's the crying sin of the present lawless times and presages the awful hour of doom soon to strike. The scriptural children obey your parents has almost universally been superseded by parents obey your children. It's getting real quiet in here. (laughs) He says, it is a sowing of the wind, the whirlwind will have yet to have been reaped. Now, you know, this was written in 1933. 1933. This is, you know, that's almost 100 years ago. Isn't that amazing? Yet having stated the importance of parents in the lives of children, we must recognize that not all parents are wise. Dr. Longman, who I've had the privilege of having as an instructor, he says the text is not telling all children to listen without question to their parents. The parents in the book of Proverbs, in a sense, are not real people. They're the ideal couple. Okay, everybody follow this? They are wise parents and are not everyone's parents today are wise in the sense that Proverbs describes wisdom. Okay. So when he says honor your parents, I I think yes, we should be honoring our parents. That doesn't mean if they tell us to do something illegal or immoral we're going to do that. That's not what we're talking about here. But he's saying the parents, you know, that the scriptures are talking about, people are honoring God. We should be listening to godly parents. Godly people. Hey, you know, you say, "Well, I don't have a godly parent." Yeah, you do. I'm a father. You know, you don't know this, but pastoring is actually parenting. You know, so I'm I'm actually saying things and saying this is the way that's right. You can disregard my my admonition to you, but you know what? You'll suffer, as as children always suffer when they don't listen to their parents. They suffer. You know. I'm not trying to be dominant or domineering. I'm basically explaining to you we're in a relationship. A lot of us don't understand that. And that when you, you know, if I say something that's wrong, yeah, you don't need to listen to it. But if I'm saying something that's lining up with Scripture and you're just ignoring it, you're doing that to your own hurt and to my tears, you know. Because I don't rejoice when people struggle in their walk with God. I don't rejoice when people are, you know, disobeying God. That doesn't, that's, that's painful to watch people... Hurt themselves and hurt those they love. So, we're going to take a look here at how Proverbs is going to ask us uh, basically to listen to our parents. It says, Proverbs asks us without reservation to listen to these parents from the book of Proverbs and to our parents as they reflect divine wisdom. So, in the opening chapter here, we have the temptation to reject God's wisdom. There's a temptation. And I want to just look at two things, the two strong temptations that you and I need to overcome in order to embrace biblical wisdom. You know, we're all going to be tempted. And the first one is a desire for ill-gotten gain. And I want to explain a little bit about what I mean by ill-gotten gain. It's not like I'm going out and stealing like what we would think in the normal stretch. But thinking of it this way, that I'm acquiring uh, things that I desire at other people's expense. That's an ill-gotten gain. Do you follow that? Like, I'm taking advantage. I'm manipulating. And it's not just me. Maybe it's you. You're doing the same thing. You're taking advantage of a situation. That's an ill-gotten game. See, it says in verse 10 here in chapter 1, and I want you to turn in your Bible, so I'm not going to put these on the PowerPoint. There's a Bible there in the pew in front of you or underneath the seat. It says here, my son or daughter, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. So in other words, we're going to have someone coming to us to try to seduce us. If they say, come along with us, let us lie and wait for someone's blood. Let's waylay some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us, and we will share a common purse. Now, most of us, when we look at this and go, I don't even relate to this. This isn't tempting me to go out there and bonk somebody on the head and take their money. you know." So I'm not relating to this text sometimes, Well, let me just... Bear with me, I'm going to share some thoughts regarding this. You know, Daniel Trier wrote a commentary, and he said this, the sinners are enticing and violent. Why are they motivated to be having some people to join them? Because they're greedy. They they don't want to do what's necessary of themselves to acquire what's needed. They'd rather just take it from someone else. He says, yet their end is death, portrayed starkly in terms of self-destruction. The implication is that the end of parental instruction is life. In other words, when we disobey our parents and we're not listening to them, we're actually going to walk in the way of death rather than the way of life. There's only two paths in life. Just, you know, and I, I preached that two weeks ago and I talked about Jesus. And he talked about a narrow way and a broad way. He talked about, you know, very few people come through the narrow gate, very few people are on the narrow road, but there's a whole bunch of people on the broad road. And when people all say to me, you know, all roads lead to the same place, I go except for one road. You're right. And the road that's broad doesn't lead to life, it leads to death, it leads to self-destruction and the destruction of a whole bunch of other people. It's not a healthy road to be on. So... The temptation begins with the desire to join the gang. So that's what this is. And you go, does, why do people join gangs? Because they want to fit in. How many say that's true? We want to we belong, we want to be a part of community. We're social human beings. We, we want to feel like there's somebody there that cares about me, and I can care about others. And so a lot of young people today, and many times in troubled areas, they join these gangs to feel like they belong to something. They have an identity. They're gaining their identity from being a part of this gang. You say, well, what about us? I want to say something that's going to maybe shock you this morning. I want you to think a little bit. Why is it that the church struggles so much to say the truth in an age and a world that is against the truth? It's because we don't want to stand up and be counted and pay the price because we want to be a part of the game. You see, that's why worldliness creeps into the church, because we want to be a part of the system so i just write down why is the call of crowds so seductive we often take our cues of who we are our sense of our identity our value and how and we we're based on how others relate and treat us We're gaining a sense of who we are through the eyes of others. People are telling us who we are. Can I just encourage you just for a minute? The only way to break away from being a man pleaser to succumb to the pressures of society around you is you have to have a sense of identity that comes from somewhere else. And you and I need to discover that our identity as a child of God comes from our Father in heaven. And that's why Jesus could stand against the crowd because he knew who he was. And he heard the voice of the Father saying, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. And out of that sense of identity, Jesus could say no to the devil when he was tempted in the wilderness. Where are you getting your sense of identity? Because I think we do a lot of stupid stuff, notice I said we, I include myself, do a lot of stupid things because we wanna fit in. We wanna gain a sense of identity from our peers and people around us and so it's very important we find the right kind of people and get our affirmation from the right kind of people and be in community. I think being in community is a critical issue. I think it's a human need. That's why God designed the church. To gather together. You and I are the church, but we can't do it alone. I, you, you, it's impossible, I think, to just live this Christian life apart from being in community. God designed it that way. As human beings, we're social. We need one another. Paul Kopek points out an irony in this call. He said... Uh, there's a tragic irony as this gang of thieves proclaims loyalty to one another through the promise of a common purse. It is a promise of community, but what, com- but what community can you have with people who are enemies of community? You see, the very thing that they're doing is destructive to the nature of community. Isn't that sad? What is God calling us to? to himself, to each other, to find our real identity and our relationship with him. So the Bible is realistic in showing us the power of wrong associations, or, as we would say today, peer pressure. And by the way, peer pressure isn't just that teens are having a problem with it. We all have a problem with peer pressure. So what are some of the compromises we make in order to fit in? Well, I think it can be just as subtle as laughing at obscene and sinful and coarse jokes with their fellow coworkers. Don't you think so? Look what the Ephesians says, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. It can be speaking evil of others, slandering their character, and gossiping or putting down other people. As a matter of fact, the Ephesians says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, I should be thinking, what can I say to benefit the person I'm talking to? how can I lift this person up? Do you know what I think should happen in our lives? And I'm not saying I'm perfect at this, because I'm not. Wouldn't it be great if every person that came into our presence when they left felt empowered and encouraged, comforted and understood and feel accepted? Wouldn't that be beautiful? Isn't that amazing? See, God wants to do that in and through us. I love it. It could be, Simply manipulating people to meet our needs at their expense or taking advantage of people either sexually or financially. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then it has this list. By the way, this is not a complete list. There's lists all over the New Testament of behavior that God considers what keeps you know you know why these behaviors keep us from the kingdom of God? Because when we're really trusting God and we're in fellowship with God, these behaviors become repulsive to us. It's true. We begin to hate this stuff. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. Listen, I'm I'm not saying this. God's saying this. We need to hear this. We're having a problem right now in our culture. We're getting more and more confused. Do you know what I think's happening right now? Here's what I think's going on. Christians are coming to church, listening to the voice of culture, and sitting in the pew evaluating the word of God and going, I don't agree with it. Do you think the culture is right? Listen, I've studied history. This civilization is on its way down, folks. You may not know that. Every great civilization rises up, and then goes down. Why? Because they, their moral ethics and values slide. It goes on to say this. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Those are strong words. And then he says this. this is the, that was so bad. Here's the good news. And that is what some of you were, past tense. We're not here to condemn people. God's not even here to condemn people. You know what he's here to do? Save people. He's here to save us from the things that are destroying us. So when we think that we're affirming people, saying, oh, I really support you in this behavior, do you think we're really helping people? Or actually, we're allowing them to continue to destroy themselves? See, I think it's the latter. See, Jesus, when the woman was caught in adultery, he didn't say to her, he says, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Notice what he didn't do. He didn't condemn her, but he didn't condone her behavior. And I know that's difficult to do, but somehow we have to find a way to do that. The question is, so why do sinners want people to join them in their sin? Isn't that a great question? Why is that when you're struggling with something, that person comes along and is trying to push you in that direction? You ever wondered? Charles Bridges, the old Puritan preacher, said this, as almost as soon as Satan became an apostate, in other words, he fell as a fallen angel, he became a tempter. And most successfully does he train his servants in his work. In other words, if you're not walking with God, you're being used by Satan. And you're going to be working at trying to take down God's people. And you don't even realize you're doing it because you're in a state of self-deception. Jesus said this when he was talking to the Pharisees. He goes in John, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and am now here and I I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. This is very powerful, by the way. We need to hear the voice of God. Then he goes this, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. What was their desires? They wanted to kill Jesus. They were murdered. They had a murderous spirit. They were were angry. They were full of evil. They were full of hatred. They were full of all of these things. And then they used the language. You know Satan's language is lies. That's his language. God's language is truth. No wonder it's important that you and I speak the truth. Okay. So how do we respond to this call of temptation? Well, first of all, I think we need to be prepared for it and then we need to reject it. You know, uh, well, here's the, the statement from John. He's talking about Satan's a murderer from the beginning, not, doesn't hold to the truth for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He's a liar and the father of lies. Now, this, I know this is not canonical. In other words, this is, this is the apocalypse, uh, apocrypha. But you know what? There's good theological understanding in here and I, I like this quote. You can tell I read If thou come to serve the Lord, prepare thy heart for temptation and an ordeal. In other words, if you're going to walk with God, and remember I said this a couple weeks ago, we have to be prepared to experience hardship and difficulty in our journey. You're going to all be tempted. I'm tempted. We're all tempted. There's not one of us in this room that's not tempted, okay? Good news. Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin, and you and I don't have to sin. We can overcome the temptation. So how do we do that? Proverbs says, my son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths. Okay, here's what I would say to all of us. Take a hard look at what you're doing and who you're hanging with because those decisions are defining your destiny. You know, how many parents you can honestly say to me, I can tell who my child is hanging with. They come home, they come home with an attitude, they come home with a behavior. Isn't that true? Come on, you know, you're hanging around certain people, you develop certain mindsets and certain attitudes, right? It's the way it works. Can I tell you, you want to hang around godly people. You want to have, I'm not saying we don't have people we know that aren't Christians. I think we need to know non-Christians and we need to befriend them and love them. But, you know, my closest friends, your closest friends, the people that are your mentors and your counselors and your advisors should be very godly people who hold to the word of God who challenge you to live a godly life because of their example, their life, and the way they live. These are the kind of people you wanna have around you. It'll help you, it'll challenge you. You know, a lot of us, we don't like to be corrected. You know what, be thankful for, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. A godly person may speak words of correction in your life. What do we do? Oh, I'm all offended, hey. If somebody's telling you the truth in a loving way, you should be thankful that they have the courage to say that to you, and they care enough about you to just not let you go in your own way and destroy yourself. This is a very quiet crowd today. I don't think this is a sermon. You guys are enjoying that much. But it is in the Bible here. The temptation to gain at the expense of others. Taking advantage of other people is too often too common. The problem is at the end of their greed is their own destruction. The parents are warning of the trap that has been set, not for the innocent victims, but for the longing that has been set in the human heart, if not checked, will bring about destruction. See, listen, how useless to spread a net, verse 17, in full view of all the birds. How many know, you don't trap animals by going, oh, I'm setting a trap for you, okay? These men lie in wait for their own blood. They waylay only themselves. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. I love what Paul Koptik says. He says that the point of of the proverb is that the birds are only trapped when they're unaware that there is a trap. How many see that? That's the only way you can be trapped is when you're not aware of it. So what's the trap being sprung here? The sinner is said to set the trap for the innocent victim, but the reality is that they're only setting a trap for themselves to fall into. Do you see what's going on here? That's what the warning is. It's interesting that we're warned against joining a gang of criminals. It's evident that very few of us will be enticed by violence. And yet Paul Koptek says this, something far more sinister is lurking in our hearts. We missed the point of this warning. It's not about the trap uh, uh, of greed. Sorry, it's about the trap of greed. Violence isn't something that generally entices us. It's often the end product of a more subtle temptation, which is greed. And so he says, greed can be defined as desire that knows no bounds, desire so strong that it does not care what is done to satisfy it or what harm it does to others. Greed is a trap And traps only work When they're not seen For what they are Are you catching this? Greed can crowd out The more important parts Of our lives Such as community Virtue and integrity Now let me Let me just give you An application of this Because sometimes we, we hear this We go well, What does that mean? It means simply this If I'm working All the time To make money And I'm neglecting My family I'm being trapped By greed That's an application I could just keep going down the applications. What's motivating our lives? You know? What is it that's the most important thing to you? You say, well, my family. Okay, well, that's, that's good. But wouldn't, shouldn't God be the most important person to us? Let's put him first, okay? I think if we put God first, we'll, we'll even have healthier families. What I've seen in the last 20 years is that Christians have put their families ahead of God and they've lost their families. They've made the family the idol. It's getting real quiet in here it's getting real quiet now see I'm telling you right now put God first in your life and then when you when God is the most important person and he says to you love your wife then for you to disobey that injunction means you're disobeying God and if God's the most important person you say how can I disobey God how many are catching on this is even a stronger motivation you know, I could go down, I could just keep, I could preach a whole day on this whole idea of how often we put something other than God in the first spot. And then the very thing that we've idolized, the thing that we cherish, becomes destroyed in front of us rather than honored and actually valued the way it should be by God. God's for our families. But he wants us to put him first. Let me move on to the second temptation. And that's the illogical rejection of God's call. Why is this so irrational? Do you know that it makes no sense to embrace sin? The wages of sin is death. Why would somebody in their rational, sane mind do something that's going to destroy themselves? It's illogical, it's a form of insanity. That's why I look at evil today and I go, it's a form of insanity. You, you guys can define insanity any ways you want to. We, could, we can have all kinds of medical, psychological evaluations and definitions, but as far as I'm concerned, sin is a form of insanity because it's the self-destruction. And self-destruction by nature, it doesn't make sense. It's illogical because we have a life principle inside of us. The human heart wants to live. There's a, such a strong principle of life within us, and yet this culture today is preaching death, 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 death. Everywhere I turn, I see death, 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 death. We take life at the beginning. We take life at the end. Everything about this culture is about destruction and death. But the culture in the scriptures is about life. And Jesus says, I've come to give you everlasting, eternal life. I've come to give you life and that to the fullest. I've come to bring you joy and hope and peace. Wow, what an amazing road to be walking on. It's the road of wisdom. And then we hear... It's shifting now from the parental voice to a woman's voice. There's two women in this book of Proverbs. One of them is Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom here is, you know, wisdom then is personified as a woman. It starts out in verse 20. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. Why is is it in the feminine? Well, because wisdom in the Hebrew language is in the feminine. So wisdom is now personified as a woman. And it says here, At the head of the noisy street she cries out in the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. She's calling to those who are turning away from her. Listen, wisdom is not hidden. Wisdom is out in the open. God is not trying to make it difficult for us to know him. God wants to know humanity and God appeals to us. And he appeals to us through his word. So wisdom is now challenging The unresponsive to repentance means to change their mind. And there are three classes stated here in verse 22. How long will you, simple ones, love your simple ways? How long will you mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? The first group mentioned are the simple or the gullible. And Tremper Longman says the simple people are without moral direction and have an inclination, oh, this is the NIV study notes, and an inclination toward evil. And Dr. Longman writes, they are the most teachable of the three groups that may be understood as also naive or immature. Do you know? Simple ones. In other words, you're underdeveloped. You just don't know any better. You're naive. How many people when they're growing up, children, young people, they're inexperienced and naive. Wisdom is saying, listen to me, I will help you know the right way to live. Do you know it takes a, you know if you're a young person, I would be, lis- I would be reading Proverbs. I would be listening to God's wisdom. I would be educating myself to what is true and right in the world. Because a lot of people are confused about that today. The second group is described as the mockers. And as Dr. Laman points out, they may be the most hardened. They hear advice and then criticize and ridicule the one who gives them the advice. Oh, isn't that kind of sad? Here's a person trying to help you experience life to its fullest and you're taunting and mocking and ridiculing and carrying on. Do you know when Jesus was dying on the cross? They were mocking him. And they said, hey, if you can, you, know, you said you could save the world. Well, you can't even save yourself. And Jesus is up there dying and saying, the only way to save the world is by dying for it. You know, that's an amazing thought. Many times, the only way to bring life to other people is by laying down our lives. We need to understand that. That's wisdom. Dr. Walke says, "Suppose the mocker, according to Dr. Walke, supposes that it's his mission in life to promote the corrosion of the values by which individuals and society live. And to restore order, he must be driven out of the community by force. This is strong language. How many are hearing, you know... There are people today promoting the corrosion of this society. And the Bible describes them as mockers. Listen to what Proverbs 22.10 says. Drive out the mocker and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. These guys disturb the peace. That's a nice way of saying it. (laughs) I won't quote my dad because his language is way too colorful. Okay, that was my earthly dad. My heavenly dad wouldn't say it that way. The third group is described as fools. Now, fools, this isn't somebody who's dumb, okay? It just means they're foolish because they're choosing the wrong path. They despise discipline and correction, The Bible says a fool spurns his father's discipline. They lack wisdom. Fools die for lack of judgment. Remember I said last week, wisdom and judgment are identical or compatible concepts. They lack self-control and are hot-tempered. Ooh. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. It is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to fight or quarrel. They bring trouble on their family. Proverbs 11:29, "He would bring trouble on his family, will inherit only wind and the fool will be servant to the wise." Regarding the rejection of these three groups to wisdom call, I'm gonna, I want to quote Dr. Longman again. he says this: "Lady wisdom's problem with these three groups of people is that they each relish their present state of ignorance. They're proud of being ignorant." I gonna think that's an amazing statement. Proud of being ignorant. You know, people go, I'm an agnostic, and they're proud of it. You know what that word means? They don't know. Rejecting them. They not only tolerate it, but also embrace it wholeheartedly as communicated by the verbs they love and hold dear to it. The promise of those who embrace wisdom. Let's let's go to the positive side, okay? That's the negative side. Oh, here's the positive side. Verse 23, if you had responded to my correction or rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. How many say, you know what, I want God to pour out his heart to me and make his thoughts known to me. I got my hand up. I want God to make his thoughts known to me. Well, he does. The word of God, he's making his thoughts known to us. Isn't it amazing? God's revealing things, speaking into our lives. I'm gonna just tell the story of Abraham for a minute. I love Abraham. You know, he's a man of faith. And I want you to think about the great test in his life. You know, a couple weeks ago I said tests are actually a good thing. It tells you where your life is really at. You know, Abraham was asked by God to offer up his son. Remember that? Go up Mount Moriah, give up your only son. This was the son. By the way, in the Old Testament, they didn't even know if there was an afterlife. They thought that their legacy was their children. And, they, and God had spoken to Abraham said, this child is gonna be the descendant that all of the stars, is gonna be, the the multitude's gonna come out from him. He's gonna be like the stars in the sky, okay? God had told Abraham that in their conversation. Then God says, now I want you to take your son, your only son, and give him up. Now, so here's Abraham trudging up the mountain that God showed him to offer up his son as a sacrifice. And then he says this, and I want you to know the story as it's playing out. He says, He said to his servants, because he had servants with him, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, how many go? That's a very interesting way of describing the story. I mean, if you're offering up your son, you're expecting him to come back down with you? But Abraham did, okay? Why did he think that way? Because Hebrews in the New Testament picks it up. It says this by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God has said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. He said, if this is the son, then God's going to raise the dead. He's going to come back down with me. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. But can I just, can I just say uh, what's really exciting about this text? What, now, what happened on that mountain? When he got there, he bound his son. Of course, Isaac was probably about 17. He could have fought off his death, but he didn't do that. And he's about ready to kill his son. And all of a sudden, what does God do? He stops him. Okay, Abraham, I now know that you love me above the greatest earthly love you have. You have me in first place. You don't need to kill him. I have, some, I have a sacrifice for you. Because Isaac had come up the hill, he goes, where's the sacrifice? And I'm sure Abraham had to explain to him what God had said to him and that God was going to raise him back to life. I Man, there's a lot of faith going on here in God. God says, no, no, I've got to now look in the thicket. And there was a ram caught in the thicket. Abraham walks over and kills the ram and offers the sacrifice. And then Abraham says this. This, God revealed himself at that moment to Abraham. says, I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the Lord who will provide for you, Abraham. And I'm going to tell you, to me it's so profound because I think this story it says here, he looked up there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns, he went over took the ram and sacrificed at a burnt offering instead of his son, I want you to see the word instead of, this is now a substitute for your son, everybody follow that, so Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is set on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided, so what, let me just go back and, and just say this, oh I don't have this text but in John chapter 8, in verse 56, Jesus said something very profound. It says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Well, What day did that was that Abraham saw the day of salvation? That day. I think what happened was God said, There's coming a day, Abraham, when I will come up the hill, and I will offer my only son. And he will not be spared. He will be the substitute that will provide for all of our sons and daughters. You see, God revealed something to Abraham that day. Far more significant. There was something going on there. Do you know, if you read the story correctly, the focus is not on Isaac. The focus is on Abraham. How many see that? Abraham, Abraham. It's all about Abraham. I believe God revealed to Abraham that day what he was about to do for all of humanity. And that Jesus, his son, becomes the substitute for all of us. That's an amazing point. Anyways, so what's the result of those who reject wisdom? Verse 21. But since you rejected me when I called, and none gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, since they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord." Since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. You know what God says is going to happen? I'm going to let you sin. But for every sin you commit, there's a consequence. There's an end result. I'm going to let you have the fruit of it. I'm going to let you succeed in your evil, but you're going to suffer for it. Is that sad? I say sad. Why doesn't God run down to earth and go, "Stop this nonsense! No, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's desire is that as human beings we would change our mind. We would hear the call of wisdom. We would surrender to his lordship. We would walk in the way of wisdom and we would be delivered from the path of folly. Are you seeing that this is gonna go through the whole book? The wise, the fool. It's this constant antithesis and this parallelism that's happening through the whole book. Let me close with this. Daniel Trier says this, fools despise the instruction Uh, okay, maybe I didn't put this part in. Fools despise the instruction offered to them because by implication they do not take God seriously. At that point, of course, wisdom no longer addresses everyone in the same way. Folly harms the ability to gain insight. Roughly parallel to the way wisdom accumulates insight. People become so hardened in folly that wisdom makes an offer they can no longer accept. You see, what is he basically saying? He's saying, listen, the more you and I embrace wisdom, the more we obey it, the more we do it, the more insight we get. The more we harden our heart, the less we obey it, pretty soon we don't even care anymore. We just have no desire. You you know know why people are going to perish at the end? It's not because God didn't give them an opportunity. It's because they didn't want it. It's because they kept rejecting, rejecting, rejecting. After a while, you can't keep just rejecting God and expect that one day you're just gonna bounce back. No, your heart gets so hard that after a while, you don't care anymore. You just say, I don't even believe that stuff. It's just a bunch of junk. You know, that's, what, that's where people get to. I hear it all the time. I'm going, oh, but it's so real because like, like wisdom says, oh, okay. You think it's junk? I'll just let you do your thing. Find out how junky it is. And then you get, because I'm a pastor now, I get all these people broken, Crushed by their sin, weeping, messed up. You know, I see it all the time. What am I saying to us? God is a forgiving God. Can He restore what we've done wrong? The answer is, of course He can. Does He want to? Of course He does. Do you realize how precious you are to God? Can I just stop and say this? You're so precious, He substituted Himself for you. That's true love. Love gives of themselves for the sake of another. God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. What more could God give? He he didn't give you money. He gave you himself. That's a higher gift, folks. That's the greatest gift. Proverbs says, if you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. How many say, you know what? I want God to pour out his heart to me. I want God to make his thoughts known to me. Anybody here besides me? Anybody here? Oh, there's so many. Let's stand this morning. Thank you. I've taken one extra minute of your time, but I want to close in a word of prayer. Can we do that this morning? Is this book fascinating the way they describe things? Is this a challenging book? Is this the real deal? God is making his thoughts known to us. We have a choice. Bible said, you know, Joshua came to his generation. You speaking to the people of God. He says, choose you this day. Whom would you serve? Would you serve God or idols? You say, well, what do you mean? You see, I'm going to just say it to all of us. We can't serve both. We have to choose God. We have to put God above everything else in our life. Can I, I'm going to give you the highest one. The greatest love most of us have in this room is for ourselves. It's the truth. I'm going to ask you to do something today. It's very, It's. I want you to put God above yourself. And that's the day real freedom is going to come in your life. You're saying, okay, God, I'm going to put you above myself. And everything you tell me to do, whether I like it or not, I'm just going to do it. Because sometimes God's going to say, I don't want you to do that anymore. Can, okay laying it aside you, you told me I'm going to do it I'm going to obey you the way of wisdom receives the rebukes of God we're corrected and we get wiser still we get more insight see this book isn't just written for the ignorant it's written for the wise to become wiser still i many say you know pastor I want to put God above myself just raise your hand my hand's up I want God above myself I want God above anything else in my life. I don't want to cherish anything but God so that I can have the right affections for the things that God wants me to love. I believe that if you put God above yourself, you will love your spouse better than you ever have before. That's true. I believe if you put God above yourself, you will love your children better than you've ever loved them before. You will do better by them. If you put God above yourself, you will be stronger to stand against the ways of this culture that are flaunting God's laws. If you put God above yourself, you will have greater compassion for humanity. You will love people even though they've sinned and are doing terrible things. You will love them even when they're crucifying you and spitting in your face. You will love them because you will be like Jesus. You will not be condemning them, but you will not be accommodating them. You will be loving them. It's different, totally different. If you really love people, you'll be criticized, misunderstood. How do I know this? God's criticized and misunderstood. The more I become like Jesus, the more people will treat me like Jesus. There will be people who will love me more deeply and there'll be people that hate me more vehemently. But if I love Jesus above myself, it won't matter anymore because my identity will not be shaped by the people around me. It will be shaped because I know who I belong to. I know who my Father is and I know his language. And I will do his will because I'm here to please my Father in heaven. So, Father, we thank you this morning. We are surrendering to your sovereign dominion and authority over ourselves. Help us, Lord, to walk in the way of wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.